Welcome to this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And today we're talking about Georges Bizet's famous Carmen, Eric. Yeah, a little opera few people might have heard of. <laughs> <laughs> it is one of the most performed operas in the world, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think it's arguably some of the most famous classical music ever written. I mean, even if you've never seen an opera in your life, you've heard the Abaniera. You've probably heard the Sigadia. You've certainly heard the Toreador song and probably the Overture. I said, I think it's arguably the most cl- famous classical music ever composed. I mean, we hear it, you know, not just in, in this form, in the form of an opera, but you hear violin transcriptions and piano transcriptions and all kinds of reworkings of this music. 1875 was the debut in Paris, and it was not incredibly successful to begin with. And Bizet never lived to, to see its great success, did he? Yeah, surprising how many times that happens, isn't it? So, what are we dealing with here? An opera based originally on a short story by Prosper Merrimay about this gypsy girl, Carmen. Right. It's a, it's an opera that's sort of transitioning away from the kings and the queens and the elevated. You know, this is more going toward, you know, where we would eventually take opera with Verismo, uh, talking about people of, of low station who are, in the case of La Boheme, very ordinary f- folks. Or in the case of Carmen, she's anything but ordinary, but she certainly is not royalty. <laughs> when we talk about Verismo opera, we're talking about particularly who? Uh, that would be uh, Umberto Giordano. His most famous piece would be Andrea Chenier, uh, Leon Cavallo, Pagliacci. Um, Puccini, obviously. Puccini to an extent. And there is some debate about whether he's actually Verismo or if he's sort of off in his own category. But uh, then there's Cavaliere Rusticana. Uh, these are all mainstays of the, of the Verismo period, which roughly coincides with the realism movement in literature. And what was it that preceded this? What is it that, that Bizet, that operatic tradition that he's coming out of? We talk about opera comique. Right, which, which Carmen is. Um, opera comique employed dialogue uh, instead of, uh, and I'm going to use an opera term here, recitative, which is basically the filler music. It's the music between the numbers that gets you from one number to the next. The sort of the sung dialogue, if you like. Right. In, in Mozart and Rossini, for instance, it's called dry recitative. Uh, the orchestra isn't playing. It's just a continuo, uh, either a harpsichord or, or a piano, you know, playing a chord, and then the, and then the voice comes in and, and takes the recitative. Then there's accompanied recitative, which is what you hear most often in, in Verdi, and uh, all the bel canto operas. It's all accompanied by the full orchestra. In opera comique, which is more of a, a comic opera tradition, you have no recitative. It's spoken dialogue. So and it's Carmen, aria, dialogue, aria, dialogue. Or any kind of number, duet, ensemble, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And Carmen is, is uh, often still performed that way. I believe it's Erné Giraud who composed the recitatives for Carmen later on uh, that we often hear it uh, performed with today. And in fact, the libretto was done by Henri Meillac and uh, Ludovic Alevi, who provided 
libretto to many of Jacques Offenbach's operas. Right, right. So they were they were the two guys. Offenbach very much in the opera comique tradition. Carmen, then, this gypsy girl, and Don Jose, the young, sort of naive soldier. We're in Seville. It's the the early nineteenth century. Who is Carmen? Hmm, boy, good question. Um, because it's uh, it's another one of those roles like Don Giovanni that is subject to great interpretive uh, leeway. Uh, depending upon the mezzo or the director, uh, they can take Carmen in any kind of directions. But uh, she certainly, she, we, we know that she is a gypsy, uh, that she is uh, often on the wrong side of the law, <laughs> which is the way she likes it. She likes that freedom, and she celebrates that freedom. She's all about personal freedom. She wants to do what she wants to do when she wants to do it, and she doesn't want any man telling her, you know, how to live her life. She's working in the, the tobacco factory, making cigarettes, right. etc. And as the opera opens, that first encounter between Carmen and Don Jose, he's not really interested in her because he, in fact, is interested in Micaela. Yes, although there, there are hints to some shady things in Don Jose's past. And depending upon the director and the tenor playing Don Jose, you can often uh, sort of uh, transmit to the audience signals that he's a little uh, unbalanced, you know, from the get-go. and becomes you mean increasing- psychologically? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And becomes more and more so as the opera goes on and it becomes more and more obsessed with Carmen and winning her back. Although there is also this intimation that... Carmen, as the gypsy, has some sort of supernatural power that she, Don Jose says right at the beginning that she could be a witch. Mm. And at the end of that opening scene, she throws a flower at him. Yes. And that flower seems to have a great power as far as he's concerned. Because he holds on to it. Right. Yeah. Yes, he see, he believes that there is some sort of supernatural thing. And she certainly does have an absolute magnetism that draws men to her. I mean, all the cigarette girls come out first, you know, from their break from the cigarette factory. And, and the men are interested, but they're all going, where's Carmen? <laughs> When's she coming out? And then she does. And, of course, all eyes, boom, are right on her. Um, she's got something. And she reels him in. Because a little bit later, she gets involved in a fight in the factory. Yes. And Don Jose is charged with with guarding her while they get it sorted out. And she actually convinces him to to untie her hands. Right, with the segedia, one of her big famous numbers. And she seduces him with this really beautiful seductive song. And she, as you say, she, she convinces him to untie her, and she says, I'll take care of the rest, which she does, and she makes her escape 
Unfortunately, Jose is imprisoned for, <laughs> for not driving her well duty. enough. Dereliction of duty, exactly. And you can see there the way that she has begun to sort of insinuate her herself into his emotions. And manipulate him. Right. And it's, again, depending upon the mezzo and the director and how they want to play this, they can make her completely manipulative or they can make her someone who is simply... Uh, all about the moment. She lives in the moment. She values her freedom above all else and damn the consequences. Enter Escamillo, who is in many ways the sort of the polar opposite of Don Jose. Yeah. He is the, the Toreador, the bullfighter. He's the big jock. Right. That's what he is. He's the big swaggering jock who comes in bragging about his prowess in the bull ring. <laughs> He loves to have the women kind of swarm over him in the way that the men swarm over Carmen. And he, of course, catches Carmen's eye, and, uh, and there's a connection made there. And then, almost inevitably, she tires of Don Jose. Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't tire of her. No, he's obsessed at this point, and he's becoming increasingly clingy, which she really doesn't like. <laughs> because she sees that as, a, as a, an attempt to, to stifle her. An impingement on her freedom, exactly. She's not having any of that. She's increasingly pushing him away, even though she has, by this point, she has manipulated him to the point where he is no longer uh, a soldier. He has... He he's has, deserted, He's deserted. He has committed... Uh, oh, what's the word? He's, he's attacked a superior officer. <laughs> he's, you know, he is persona non grata. He has no choice but to join her uh, in leading the gypsy life as a bandit. And, uh, you know, so his life, as he has known it up to that point, is pretty much kaput and um you know she's she's tired of him but as you say he's he's quite obsessed with her and increasingly so as he as he becomes more and more unglued really she also sees something in him fairly early on that worries her and that is that he has the power to kill her which there's sort of an intimation that she's kind of fascinated by that she loves the danger of that at the same time but yes she does see that, and then you know, there's the famous card scene where she lays out the cards and, and is attempting to read her own fate, and she keeps turning up the death card again and again and again. And she realizes that that's what her immediate future holds. And she's 
she's kind of um, she's kind of pragmatic about it. She's okay. <laughs> you know, she's, she's, she's certainly not going to try to do anything different to change it. She's not going to change the way she lives. If that's, what's, if, if that's what the future holds for me, then so be it. The final act is set against the backdrop of this bullfight. Escamillo is going to go out there and, and show his prowess. And Don Jose, who by this time has been kicked to the curb by Carmen, shows up and confronts Carmen and after stalking her through the crowd, yeah. Spoiler alert: He stabs her, he yeah. kills her, yeah. Because he keeps, he he keeps, he's begging her at this point. He's he's absolutely out of his mind, you know. And he's disheveled, and he looks, you know, he looks kind of crazed. Uh, and he keeps begging her, "You can still change your mind. We can still have a future." And she's, she's and she is having none of it, and she's defiant in the face of his threats to kill her if she doesn't come with him and she takes the ring that he gave her and throws it at him and, and you know, says, here, take it. And she basically... She almost goads him, actually, into going ahead and killing her, because she knows that's what's you know that's what her, her fate is. So fine, you know she's going to be fearless in the face of that, and she, you know, again she she actually goads him into doing it. And there is that symbolism there, in the same way that she had thrown the flower at him at the beginning. Here she throws the ring back at him at the Contemptuously, end. Contemptuously, yes. Right. Yeah. So great music. One of the great operatic heroines. Yeah. So great that uh, lots of sopranos keep trying to, uh, you know, sort of, <laughs> sort of shift down <laughs> in because vocal range. Because it's a mezzo-soprano role. It is a mezzo role, yeah. It, it, goes, it, it, it gets kind of deep uh, and, and chesty uh, in some of, the, uh, some of the arias, but uh, uh, because everybody wants to be Carmen. <laughs> and Bizet has that knack for creating those Spanish tunes. Oh, boy, yeah. It's just, a, it's just an amazing piece. Georges Bizet's Carmen. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.